Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that doesn't just seek justice, it stalks it. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the sweet Christmas of the MCU. <laughs> so listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Luke Cage, Season 1, Episodes 9 to 11. Okay, Lonnie, I know that last episode I promised that I was going to tell you about comic book shades, but honestly, at this yes. point, who gives a shit? Let's just skip it <laughs> and instead do some takes to astonish. So one of our lovely patrons asked about some suggested reading if you wanted to go more into Luke Cage, the character, away from Netflix, uh -huh. right? Like you want to read some All comic right. books that have Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. I have three suggestions for you okay the first is actually a single issue story from amazing spider-man number 123 called just a man called cage <laughs> i love it now after captain and gwen stacy die J. Jonah Jameson blames spider-man for their deaths now this is very mm -hmm. ironic because so does spider-man oh it's not really his fault but it also is his fault because that's Peter Parker's deal, right? Right. But Jonah blames Spidey and, of course, hates Spidey. You mm -hmm. know, the old threat or menace angle. Right. And so he hires Luke Cage to bring Spider-Man in. Mm -hmm. Instead, they find some common ground as both superheroic guys who first tried to make money off of their powers and then figured out there was a better way, mm -hmm. right? And after having a little misadventure, Luke returns to Jonah and tells him where he can stick his money, honey. <laughs> so the whole thing is a really great story. I highly recommend it if you're looking for individual issues. It's like I said, Amazing Spider-Man 123, mm -hmm. but it's been collected in Amazing Spider-Man Masterworks Volume 13. So if you're looking for this specific thing, request it through your library or, or whatever. It's only, you know, 22, 25 pages, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's Aww. a good story and really gives you some insight into kind of Luke Cage, the character. And in fact, as I look at these, I'm really kind of looking at him evolving past, you know, his kind of black exploitation jive turkey roots, right. you know. Yeah. Because another recommendation I would make is Mighty Avengers. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I make this recommendation with some trepidation, okay? <laughs> Uh, we will get to why, but the, the basic idea is that when the rest of the Avengers are off world, Thanos starts some shit here on <laughs> Earth, and there is nobody who will rise to shit starting faster than Luke Cage. <laughs> so he begins a new, less well-funded version of the Avengers. Mm -hmm. They are, in fact, the hashtag Mighty Avengers, mm -hmm. and then he leads them on to glory, you know, more or less. All right. It's complicated. Now, the reason that I'm a little trepidatious about this is twofold. Uh, this is Brian Michael Bendis writing it, so mm -hmm. your mileage may vary. Mine <laughs> certainly does, right. you know. And it's also pretty embedded into a lot of the bigger stuff that was going on in the Marvel Universe at large, mm -hmm. you know. So I do recommend it. It is a pretty fun read overall. But if you're ever like, wait, they're fighting who in space and why? Mm -hmm. That's why. It's because okay. it's part of some bigger you know, bigger, wide thing. 
But what I really like about this particular story is that it's especially about Luke's evolution into a leader. Mm -hmm. Like he is a leadership role and he is very much like sort of the inspirational speech giving, you know, he really kind of fills the Captain America role for these mighty Avengers. Yeah, like, come on, we can do it, get it together, but in a very Luke Cage way. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to say highly recommended. I like what it does, but it's kind of a complex read. Yeah. You know, buyer beware. Mm -hmm. However, I must recommend another series that I mentioned in a previous episode, Power Man and Iron Fist. (laughs) And the first collection is called The Boys Are Back in Town. Okay. The art is a little cartoony and the plot does require a little Heroes for Hire backstory. But I absolutely love this series. In it, Luke is a man in a suit, like trying to be a respectable adult for his newborn daughter and his wife with opinions. And that is not shade. I also have a wife with opinions. So I'm just saying that's what Jessica Jones is. And most of that means not getting roped into a bunch of superhero nonsense. However, his best friend Danny is like a hyperactive little brother who only wants to get into superhero nonsense. And together, against Luke's better judgment, they get into superhero nonsense and have fun doing it. It's very enjoyable. It's really great. I mean, you can absolutely see yourself in one of these characters in almost every scene. Uh, I particularly enjoyed a moment when Luke was on the phone with Jessica Mm -hmm. and Danny is in the background doing Kung Fu. Like, he can't stand still. He's just back there practicing Kung Fu. And he keeps saying, hey, hey. Tell her I said, hey, 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 tell her I said, hey. And then when he hangs up, he's like, how come you didn't tell her that I said, hey, she hates me, doesn't she? I have been both people in that conversation at different times. Iron Fist sounds adorable, though, in that like he is. Is that the guy that we get in the Netflix? Oh, absolutely not. Because it's Netflix. We just get dour, sad bastard. Oh, no. Uh, We'll get to it. Maybe. We'll see. But anyway, no. Uh, Danny in the comics is a lot more enjoyable. Um, He's very, very fun when he's on his own. He's like trying to overcome his own impetuous fuckboy bullshit, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And when he's with Luke, who has completely overcome his immature bullshit, that means Danny gets to go right back to being that guy, you know. Uh, so it's a really, really interesting dynamic um, mm-hmm. when they're together in this book. And I, I re- that one I can say, bar none, highly recommended, highly recommended. Awesome. And you get probably as good a take as we're ever going to get on Mariah Dillard in there, too. That's okay. why I mentioned it before. So we also had... Someone asked about the history of superhero catchphrases, thanks to how many times we hear Luke say, sweet Christmas. <laughs> so I'm not going to do like an exhaustive look at these, but I will mm-hmm. say that these really began, these catchphrases really started back in the pulp and radio era. I will give you some examples that I'm pretty sure you're already aware of, right? Mm-hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> the shadow knows. <laughs> right? You oh, knew that yeah. one. Oh, yeah. I used to listen to a lot of old radio when I was a kid. Yeah. That was a thing that was popular when you and I were of a certain age. And right, I had marvel tapes. at it every time. <laughs> every time. Yep. 
when I am reminded that that was a phase I also went through and that I share that in common with other people, it's just like, what the hell was going on? But anyway, you'll <laughs> recognize this one also. Uh huh. Hiyo Silver, away! Uh, yes, absolutely, Lone Ranger. Sure, mm-hmm. Lone Ranger. And then this one, this one's got the name in it, just like uh, the shadow does. But mm-hmm. this looks like a job for Superman. You know, <laughs> that's a really great line because they used that on the radio to transition audibly from the higher register right. Clark Kent voice into the lower Superman voice, like in mm-hmm. the middle of the thing. And they also would do up, up and away, right? Mm-hmm. So these begin with the pulp and radio. They really go hard for it in the Silver Age, especially mm-hmm. at DC, okay? Okay. All kinds of heroes had their own, like all of a sudden Superman apparently belonged to the Kryptonian religion because he mm-hmm. would be like, great row, which was the name <laughs> of their son and their God. Uh-huh, okay. Wonder Woman would say, merciful Minerva. All the time. All the time. And to show you how hard they went for it, the Green Lanterns have an entire oath. Are Mm -hmm. you ready for this? I am. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. Ooh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, you think that when the Marvel age starts, they're going to be a lot more serious, right? Because they're writing for young adults now. (laughs) This isn't that kid stuff going on across the street. This is the real deal. Well, that's bullshit. Because (laughs) how many times have you heard the phrase, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Oh, sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He would literally leave notes with that on it pinned to the crooks that he webbed up for the cops, you know? The Fantastic Four has not one, but two people with their own catchphrases. Mm -hmm. Every time the Human Torch wants to turn on his powers, he yells, flame on! (laughs) And when it's time for the thing to punch some dudes with his big rocky fists, Mm -hmm. it's clobbering time. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, it's so much fun. They're mm-hmm. fun. That's the reason to do them. They're fun. And remember, superheroes are for kids. Yes. So have some fun. <laughs> My personal favorite, because it is just so bizarre, is and Doctor Strange actually has a bunch of these. But his mm-hmm. A number one is, by the hoary hosts of Hoggoth. <laughs> That's a lot to say. I know. It takes it a little does, commitment. Yes, yes. And you better get it out before whatever you're saying it about is in your face and fighting you, you know, (laughs) by the hoary hosts of, oh, shit, we're fighting is how it would really go most of the time. (laughs) Now, we had a few other questions. Um, A big one was a conversation about superheroes with disabilities because of Mm -hmm. what I said about where Misty was going to wind up. I'm going to go ahead and put that one in my back pocket until she actually gets her prosthetic arm. Okay. Because there are a lot of superheroes with disabilities to Mm -hmm. talk about. It's really pretty cool, pretty fascinating how that particular minority group has been, I don't want to say well represented in comic books because it's tricky, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, for instance, Daredevil is blind, but he seems to get around okay. You know, so it's it's complicated, right? Right. But I'm going to put that in my back pocket for later. Same thing with a question about sound effects and music being... Being Mm -hmm. used in comic books to the same kind of effect that they're used in the show. Mm -hmm. I think that probably there's going to be a patron video. I think that's going to be this month's patron video about that because I got to talk about the gym reboot and I got to talk about the amazing sound effects in The Incredible Hercules. So none of that fits here. 
Okay. <laughs> However, they did ask a question that I think you and I can both go into. Mm-hmm. Because they're looking forward to the day that Luke and Danny are hanging out. And so right. people are asking, what makes a good buddy cop pairing? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, typically you get one who is more straight laced, you know, one who's by the book, you know, that kind of cop. And then we get mm-hmm. the wild card, you know. Right. Um, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon, you know. The um, classic, right? Right, yes. right. And um, if you go to, have you ever seen Heat with uh, Melissa McCarthy oh, yes. and Sandra Bullock? That's another one of those, right? And so we always find that the the crazy wild one usually pulls the straight laced one a little bit more towards the uh you know, towards the risk-taking angle, because that's mm-hmm. a lot more fun mm-hmm. than the straight-laced one taking the wild one and making them, you know, do their taxes or whatever. So, um, so yeah, usually but that's you fun too, that. because yeah. we've all seen <laughs> Lethal Weapon two and three, right? And then we should just not talk about Lethal Weapon four. Let's be honest. But Probably anyway, not. That's, just let it go. I'm going to get mm-hmm. added. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting yeah. you bring up that as the template, because I agree with you. That's the typical template, and yeah. that is actually, as you can hear me talking, that's where. Luke and Danny kind of wind up, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Luke has a wife and a daughter and he has to act like a grown up. And Danny's like, no, let's do stupid shit. <laughs> but when they both started out together, it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a different dynamic. And I'm mm-hmm. curious if you can name another one that kind of fills the space. When they first started hanging out, you had a very like worldly, gritty mm-hmm. Luke Cage, a man yeah. who knew his way around, you know, the streets, the tougher side of New York City. Mm-hmm. And you had Danny, who was fresh off of a friggin' monastery in the mountains <laughs> and did not know how anything worked at all. And so you uh... kind of had this like very worldly guy and this very naive guy who were just out like trying to do the right thing. Like kind of a mentor sort of relationship. I mean, that's definitely where it could have gone. But uh-huh. Luke was always like, Danny, just pull your shit together. Come on. <laughs> like he wasn't really <laughs> trying to teach him much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other buddy cop uh, pairings that kind of meet that that template. And the only thing I can think of is, you know, kind of like your Batman and Robin. You're kind of like kids sidekick sort of thing. True. Yeah, depending on the era and mm-hmm. the take that somebody is doing. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely that mentor-mentee right. uh, relationship is, mm-hmm. you know, Batman 66 all over. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good example, too. I, I don't really have anybody else. I mean, I'm trying to think about, like, how many buddy cop things I've seen. We've seen a lot of this in the MCU, though, right? Yeah. Um, most of the best movies have become buddy cop movies along the way. Like Winter Soldier is a buddy mm-hmm. cop movie between Cap and Falcon, you know, mm-hmm. and a little bit Cap. And actually, it's more Cap and Black Widow with a it side is. of Cap and Falcon. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there again, you have the kind of more straight laced and the more free spirited in between them. Generally, I think you just need to have you need to have two distinct personalities with two distinct um, skill sets, which when they come together, they work really well together. I mean, I talk a lot Mm. about how in romantic relationships, right, one of the best things you can do to build a good romantic relationship is to build two people who really work well together, who have complementary skill sets and are able to apply them together without like stepping on each other's toes, you know. Um, So I think that's one of the things like it's, it's the reason why it works really well in romance and why I talk about 
about it a lot in romance is because a lot of times in romance we're like the only requirements we have is you're hot I'm hot let's be hot together and that doesn't make for a good relationship right you know so in any relationship you want to have like a good positive relationship you want to have two people who work really well together and sometimes maybe you know they're going to butt heads a little bit you know I think that's always a little fun when you have people who are so different that they're that they're also like personality wise a little bit at odds but when it comes down to getting shit done they get shit done so I think that's the basic thing it's so much fun to see somebody straight laced with somebody wild that often that's what we see but I don't think that that's necessarily a requirement really what we need is just two people and and the more different they are the more they can see things from different perspectives that gives them as a team kind of a wider perspective with which to look at whatever their problem is and to resolve whatever their problem is you know the thinking outside of the box becomes a little bit easier when you got two people in two different boxes but as long as they respect each other they have genuine love for each other and they work really well together then you've got a good basic relationship that you're working with yeah i agree i mean it really boils down to the odd couple but we fight crime yes basically you know yeah yeah yeah. Actually, um, I, I'm going to I'm going to plug another podcast here right quick. Sure. Uh, uh-huh. Very recently, a, an animated discussion, my podcast about the DC animated universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, my co-host Caleb and I just talked about the world's finest episodes, which are the three part episodes that introduce Batman and Superman to one another in that mm-hmm. universe. Mm-hmm. And it really is that whole like very contentious. OK, I guess we'll be buddy cops by the end, right. you know, relationship from mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon one only mm-hmm. in capes. Right. So, yeah. It's a great set of episodes, and I really think Caleb and I pulled out some really surprising uh, observations about their relationship, considering that that's a relationship about which millions of pixels have been spilled. Oh, certainly. Well, that sounds really great. Buddy cops are so great, though. At the end of the day, buddy cops are great. Buddy cops are a lot of fun. Unfortunately, in this episode of uh, Listen Up, A-Holes, we are going to be talking about (laughs) Luke Cage. So So I got to kind of bring it back to talking about these particular episodes in which we don't really have any buddy cops. <laughs> I mean, I a mean, little bit. We do have some people who are in pairs, but I, let's like, okay, let's just lay it on the line before we go into these summaries. Yeah. Abandon all hope, all ye who enter here. Let's do it. <laughs> In DWCYK, Misty is forced to talk to a psychologist after losing control with Claire. Diamondback kills a bunch of people for no reason and tells Mariah that she has to take over Cottonmouth's business. Luke crawls out of the garbage truck, steals some clothes, takes out a couple of cops, and steals their car to find Claire, who takes him to Dr. Burstein. They hand over Reva's drive with the research data, and Burstein figures out that a boiling acid bath is the answer, so... Sure. And then Luke flatlines, much like the plot. DWCYK was written by Christian Taylor, directed by Tom Shankland. In Take It Personal, as the video of Luke assaulting the cops goes viral, Misty is put in charge of finding him. Diamondback kills a cop and shouts, My name is Luke Cage! So that seems legit. Burstein and Claire manage to save Luke, and Luke sees on Reva's drive files that she lied to him and manipulated him the whole time. He busts up Burstein's barn and they leave, headed to Savannah to find answers to whatever the hell is going on with Diamondback. They go to Luke's father's church and Luke remembers his father's affair with Diamondback's mother, which it seems he could have done from Harlem, but you know, whatever. 
Misty knows there's a connection between Diamondback and Luke, and she doesn't think Luke is out there killing cops. As the cops start beating up potential witnesses, Mariah uses the resulting hubbub to make political hay and put the spotlight back on finding Luke and on the police buying the special bullets that can kill him. Luke shows up at a rally at the club and follows Misty into the back room where she confronts Diamondback, who immediately shoots at her. Of course he does, because he just is always shooting people. Luke steps in front of Misty to protect her and carries her out, using his body as a shield as Diamondback's goons fire bullets at him and Misty. Take It Personal was written by Jason Horwich and directed by Steven Sergic. In Now Your Mind, we pick up where we left off, with Misty shot and Luke in the club trying to protect her through a hail of gunfire. He gets her into the kitchen and barricades them in, while Diamondback decides to pretend to be Luke to make it seem like Luke is causing all the trouble. As Luke tries to get Misty out through a secret stairway, Diamondback blows a smoking hole through the kitchen door. In the secret underground bunker, Luke tends to Misty's wounds while Claire goes all badass and finds a way into the basement bunker all on her own. Suck it, Luke Cage! <laughs> Luke punches a hole through the wall to let Claire in so she can tend to Misty's wounds while he goes out to take down Diamondback. He fights his way through the building as Diamondback whines about his daddy issues through the PA system. Shades finds his way into the bunker and Misty and Claire take his ass out. Diamondback holds Candace hostage as the cops bust in equipped with bullets that will kill Luke Cage. They rush in and Luke raises his hands and surrenders. Which would be a big deal except everyone knows he's the hero here. Whatever. <laughs> Diamondback escapes, and as Misty is taken out, she tells the police that Luke is innocent, and Diamondback is behind everything. Shades is taken in, Diamondback escapes, and Luke is taken into custody, where with so many witnesses in Misty's testimony, he will be found innocent of everything, so, okay. Now Your Mind was written by Christian Taylor and directed by George Tillman Jr. Alright, Joshua, I don't even... Where where do we start? Do we start with Diamondback and well the like boiling acid bath of crazy or what? Where do we even start with this? Oh man, um, okay. Let's at least Claire's in the scenes with the acid bath. So do you want to talk right. about Luke and Claire? Let's talk about Luke and Claire. I like Luke Claire. And Claire is good. Claire Claire is fantastic. Claire is badass through this whole thing. I love it when he's boiling in acid and she's like, "No, turn it up." You know, she. I know. She's so great. She's so great that she figured out all of the scientific bullshit before they even got there. They're just like, I "Oh, spliced him with abalone, huh?" What? <laughs> How did she? She's amazing. Okay, Claire is easily the best thing about this series. Although I do like Luke and I like Mike Coulter a lot. And by the way, Mike Coulter has chemistry with everyone. Like every, I was at the point where he started hitting the brick wall. I was shipping him and the brick wall. I mean, the man has chemistry. I know you're like just kiss Doctor Burstein already. You know I you want to. I don't even care. Everybody that man is in a room with, it's like yes, I was into him and Jessica. I'm into him and Misty. I'm into him and Claire. Everything. So he is. He's kind of amazing. But I mean, Claire as the written character is also really incredible. She's so badass. And when we got to the point where she was being damseled, we have her, you know, being held hostage by Diamondback's goons and all yeah. of that stuff. I was like, oh my God, if they damsel Claire, I swear to God. And I have to say, 
I wasn't disappointed. She thinks on her feet. She claims diabetes with Candace. You know, yes, she goes yes. down and gets and knocks the guy out and then finds the thing. It is tapping the wall with the wrench. Um, bad ass. So Claire is, I think, easily the MVP of these episodes. She is the reason why I was able to kind of get through it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess let's just watch Claire. I mean, I'm yeah. fine with it because that's what we have. But yeah, she really is great. And they tried to throw me a bone and have her referred to as Night Nurse in this episode. And uh, I was like, yeah. too little, too late, you <laughs> bastards. Just move on. Well, because the rest of it. Like, <laughs> the rest okay, wait. of it. It's mm-hmm. Listen, even these parts with Claire and them are extremely half-assed and I'm real salty about it. Did you notice... Yeah. That when they were pulling the shrapnel out of him, that they only pulled the shrapnel out of one of his wounds. They didn't even bother <laughs> to fix his gut. Like, no, even I the fucking notice. script doesn't care, Lonnie. Come on. <laughs> Nobody cares. It, none of Ugh. it makes any sense. Um, but they got him, and, you know, and there he is healing, and it's all great. And the abalone shell, I'm like, okay, that's just fabulous. Like, the boiling acid bath, the whole thing was kind of badass when he sees the videos of reva telling oh, the story that's yeah. kind of devastating um that's really tough to watch and, and my heart breaks for him like in that moment i think that that's really hard but it's just not attached to anything like yeah. reva's not important in this show she was important in jessica jones it's Right. I agree with you. Great scenes, but I'm just mad about it. Yeah, we had some of the the backstory, you know, with Reva in this season. And so we got a sense of we knew what she meant to him from Jessica Jones. So that definitely is something extra textual to this particular series that I did bring with me, you know, that knowledge and that understanding. Um, But the idea that um, that she had been like really super manipulating and lying to him the whole time. And at what point did she you know, actually, was she actually genuine with him? I mean, he's never going to know. Like, he's never going to know what the nature of that relationship was. And that's really kind of a devastating experience to have. So I, I felt for him, you know, with that. Um, okay, can I can I just ask, like, what the fuck with Savannah? All right, so you've just boiled a man in acid, right? Okay, I'm just saying, like, put yourself in this situation. You've boiled a man <laughs> in acid. You've saved his life. He has been shot up, but he's healing. He's okay, right? Um he has to remember things. Do you drive to Savannah for a memory? Now, if they went to Savannah and there was evidence in Savannah that you had to be in Savannah to get, then okay, fine, fair enough. They drive all the way to Savannah. He spends 15 minutes in his dad's old busted up church, remembers everything clearly, memories that he can only have there. I guess that if we had just given him like a cup of herbal tea and relaxed him and <laughs> sat and said, now, album, think, now, now think back to your childhood, Luke, what do you remember? <laughs> like that could have saved all that. So like the weird trip to Savannah felt just so strange. Why are we, why did they go to Savannah? What is the point? There is some 616 stuff with Luke's dad that was pretty new when they were planning this show. Mm -hmm. And I think it really comes to the forefront a lot more in the second season. So I, but this is not an explanation. This is just an excuse, I guess. Like it was on their (laughs) mind. So let's fuck off to Savannah. 
Right. That's a long yeah. drive, though. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. And they're just kind of dicking around in Savannah. Yeah, I, I just, I didn't understand that. I was like, okay, they go to Savannah and then they'll find something, some kind of evidence. The very thing that will be Diamondback's weakness. They will bring back the item, the thing that they could only get. To, oh, he just remembered some stuff and then they left. And so, like, I don't even know what that was all about. Um, so all of that stuff was kind of crazy, although it was, it was you know, really cute when they were on the beach and he got the keys from her. And I'm just, you know, chemistry. Mike Coulter has chemistry with everything. Everything. And this show has done a really good job with Misty before, but also yeah. with Luke sort of inhabiting these memories. Mm-hmm. Like, the cinematography is very good. It, it is just really nice. doesn't matter. It's just as they don't have to go all that way for that. Um, but speaking of Misty, right? So we've got her. She is going through this like psychological evaluation. And I have to say, um, I love this this actress. She is incredible. They don't necessarily give her a lot of great stuff. I do love when she picks up the picture and she's half in the interrogation room and half yeah. you know, watching herself being held at gunpoint, having that whole traumatizing experience and that flashback. Like I really do love the way they they do that cinematography. I think it's really nicely like visually expressed and that's really good. Um, I love when she says her name and her best badge and then he's like you're not you're not being recorded and she's like oh yeah i am Mm. Uh okay (laughs) so they have her going through this whole psychological evaluation he's telling her you are never gonna see the street again unless you go and get a cup of coffee like he's doing all this shit right and then at the end of it it's like oh no we're we're gonna put you back out because you gotta take down Luke Cage because you have a personal connection with him because bullets can't kill him and God knows there's no other way to kill a human okay Um, wait for Diamondback we're getting to Diamondback (laughs) stay in the moment with Misty which is mostly okay you know some of this show feels like writing prompts that they did and then couldn't let go like all of Misty's psyche Val is interesting and kind of fun to watch from a character perspective, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, narratively, it is completely immaterial. And that's the kind of thing where after a while, I'm like, are you just wasting my time? I mean, here we have Mariah, right? Doing this, like, Alfred Woodard doing this, like, deep, emotional, talking to the man that she raised from a child, you know, telling this I don't care like yeah it doesn't matter when i don't care about alfrey woodard then tv show you are fucking up hard like it just doesn't matter you know so so much of this stuff like in the moment the moment to moment stuff is pretty good it's pretty good but um but let me just with some of the writing let me just pull out like a couple of i'll murderize everything in sight no (laughs) Okay, I if everything else were good and Diamondback were just a wall-eyed loony, that would be fi- I would be fine with I'll murderize everything in sight. If if Diamondback were the only weird nonsensical thing in the show, we would be oh, like, no. oh, okay, he's not well, and that would be great. But he's strolling through the shambles of a plot being even weirder, and it's oh, not great. It's, it's not ridiculous. Good. You can't barter with me. You buy or you die. Like, I don't even know what show this guy is in. I don't know. 
I don't know what this is. We've got that whole like weird Mike Tyson exchange between Domingo and Misty. Sometimes you got to take a hit before you can punch back. Well, I know how to counter punch. And this feels like it's being taken like straight out of like a pulp novel. Like it just it feels so weird. And then we have all this like I am my brother's keeper stuff, which, you know, fair enough, because there's this big religious background. His dad was a preacher and they have all that. So like, you know, whatever, all of that. But when shades, when shades, when they have the gall, the unmitigated gall to have shades say, what are you talking about, Willis? No. No. It'd no. be one thing if no. they had done that and cruised past it. So it was for us, but Diamondback <laughs> reacts to it. And I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? I just, I just, I don't. And then, and then right as Luke is taking a bleeding Misty down into the secret stairwell bunker with just insane amounts of people and bullets coming after them. He pauses to give the soap opera explanation. His street name is Diamondback. <laughs> he was the hardware connect for Cottonmouth that you were looking for. He's also my half brother. And I was waiting for dun dun dun, like the so, the soap opera. You know? <laughs> yeah, where's the sting? Have I the mean, balls to include exactly. a sting. No, if you're going, if you're going, go big or go home. Like you're doing this like, <laughs> they're doing this like 75% of the way. And like, you know what? If you're going to be this shitty, just commit to being as shitty as humanly possible have some goddamn fun with it um but it's all of it just ridiculous i you know i do love especially because we have misty being shot right so she's being somewhat damseled we've got claire you know up there with the goons she's being somewhat damseled they turned that shit around they did. Claire yeah. takes out the guy. She finds the thing. Luke punches through the wall. Claire goes in. Claire ties off Misty's arm. You know, she's doing all this badass stuff. The two of them are bonding. And then they both knock Shades the fuck out. Yes. Yes. I'm in. Hooray. So, yeah. So I was I was about like, I'm in my notes. I'm like, fucking damsels. Fucking damsels. And then I was like, all right. No, we're okay. <laughs> They pulled pulled out of that nosedive, you know, pretty clean. So so I felt good about that. Um, But, you know, I don't like what else? I mean, Diamondback. That's all there is. Let's just do this Diamondback business. Okay, Diamondback telling Boone, the politician, all about his daddy issues and then carrying that over the PA system. And Luke can hear him talking about his daddy issues. What? Like, why? What? Listen, uh, our feelings about daddy issues are established at this yes, point, and these exactly. are the worst possible examples because yeah. we can't show any of it. Let's just tell it to you with this kind of terrible character. Right. And uh, you know what? I'm going to give the listeners a peek behind the curtain that I think sums up Diamondback because one of the bullets in your notes are is just. For fuck's sake. (laughs) I really think that that is Diamondback in a nutshell, to be honest. You nailed it. I just, yes. I just don't even know. I don't. He's got this. He's not smart. Like, he's he's bad at his job. He's bad. Okay, also, there's this moment where Shades is like, hey, 
You only got one Judas bullet left, except the thousands of bullets, Judas bullets that he's selling to the cop. He didn't keep a box for himself. Is that why I just, I don't. And then there's this moment where he's like, anybody who ain't us is a hostage. Make sure none of them look me in the eye. And I'm like, why? Because they might identify you in a lineup or because looking you in the eye is one of the many, many, <laughs> many things that make your trigger finger itchy. Because I have to tell you, it's not just looking you in the eye. It's breathing. It's blinking. It's existing. It's, you know, having brown eyes. I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Diamondback will shoot anybody at any time for any reason that's supposed to make him scary. It just makes him look insane. It's not a good villain. No, we lost our good villain. Yeah, we did. When Cottonmouth died, and we lost an opportunity at a second really good villain when By Diamondback showed up and yeah, pushed Mariah. Yeah, Mariah, right. Yeah, I mean, we've used up our two good villains so that we can look at this hot mess. It's not, it's not great. And here's the thing, like getting back to the daddy issues, right? We are putting so much weight on this father, right? That is alive somewhere. Why is he not part of this story? If he's so fucking important, why is he not part of this story? Having the dad come in and be like, you know, and see like some evil there. So not that we need another freaking antagonist. I mean, please. (laughs) No, but just have him show up. Like have Have him be there in Savannah and have him come in and be really shitty to both Diamondback and Luke and have that break Diamondback, but not break Luke. Yes. Absolutely. Have that be part of the climax or something like there's got to be something you got to bring. If this guy is so important or just telling stories about him, like bring him in. Go ahead. We have got a crowded field of antagonists. Basically, they're treating antagonists (laughs) like the New York Yankees. They've got a short field antagonist and a shortstop antagonist and a second base antagonist (laughs) and a catcher and a pitcher and everything else. They have 12 guys like fine. If you're going to if you're going to play the antagonist field like that then bring in this guy who actually has emotional resonance. And we have that moment where Luke says, well, you know, he, he thinks that, you know, he's mad because my dad hated him, but he doesn't realize my dad didn't care much for me either. Um, you know, like all of that, like there's stuff that you can do with that. And, you know, and again, uh, this entire season needs to be broken down and rewritten from jump. Like, I mean, there's there's yeah. not much you can do to fix it now. It's already a hot mess. So go ahead and throw in the soap opera stings. Absolutely. Have a great time. Take out what you're talking about, Willis, because no. Um, but I mean, like there's you can do stuff with it. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't understand any of this with Diamondback, it's supposed to make him scary, but it just makes him look like a, a wild, just a wild card. Like, you don't know what's going on with him. And a dumb antagonist is not frightening. There is absolutely a place for the wild card antagonist that you can't predict, but it's yeah, it's the place that that is, is a very stable situation otherwise, which exactly. we did not have when he showed up because of nope. the whole cottonmouth debacle. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's and and his plan, his plan is really dumb. Honestly, uh-huh, it's just uh-huh. to sell guns to policemen. You know, mm-hmm. this is not a grandiose villain plan. And honestly, Mariah's pitch is nonsensical. She's like, the cops are fascists who are beating up our black youth. 
Let's give them bigger bullets. Let's sell them bigger bullets. Exactly. None of it makes any sense. It's all completely insane. And then we have Shades, who is criminal Jiminy Cricket. Just sitting on everybody's shoulder, whispering (laughs) evil nothings into their ears. Like, I don't... I don't understand this whole thing. And then when Diamondback is like, with them dead, we control the story. And Shades is looking at him like, that's your plan. That's it. <laughs> yeah. If at the point that Shades is going to buck, yeah. that should be important. And it completely is not. It completely oh. is not. Well, yeah, because Shades isn't actually doing anything. He's just talking to everyone. And... There's no sense of him as a character, what he wants, what he's in it for. He seems like he should be the one with the puppet strings running the whole thing, because at least then he's present from the whole time. He was part of Luke's backstory in prison. You know, there's all of this kind of stuff. There's there's a space for Shades to be like the truly evil guy, but instead he's just looking at Diamondback and being like, so that's the plan? Well, that's stupid. And that's it. <laughs> and then going down and getting knocked out by Misty and Claire, which I love it because Misty and Claire, but at the same time does not make him a scary guy. You know, he just like, they just bash his head against the wall and he's out. And then he's arrested. And so I guess, I don't know, is that it for Shades? I have no idea. But none of it makes any sense at all. And I'm trying to pull a narrative line through this thing. But everybody's acting wild. Everybody is just all over the place and nothing makes sense. And it just it feels like one of those points in the story where they just like, a you know, a water hose that you lose control of. And it's just flopping around <laughs> like a snake. You know, it's just throwing narrative everywhere. You know, I mean, and, and in the end, what are you going to do with that? I would like to take Shades as an opportunity for us to give just a little bit of writing advice to anyone who's listening. (laughs) And that writing advice is that if your plot is really bone jar and dumb, do not insert a character who looks at somebody else and says, you know, this plot is really bone jar and dumb. (laughs) Exactly. Because maybe you could have skated past it. But you had somebody on screen point it out to us. Yeah, had do somebody that. look it directly in the eye and put a lampshade on it. Yeah, you can't do that. And you know what? And that's the thing is like it, what that does, I think, sometimes is like when you're writing and, you know, I've written a lot of stuff and there have been moments where I've been like, OK, this isn't working. I don't know what the hell's wrong with it. I don't know how I'm going to fix it. You know, and when you're tempted, <laughs> you're tempted to give a character those kinds of lines, because then you're telling the audience, I at least know it's stupid. Like, I know. <laughs> right. You know, but at least don't. I'm smart enough to know it's bad, but don't do it because it just makes it worse. Just helpful safety tip. Helpful yes. safety tip. <laughs> I do love the, uh, you know, the insertion of Richard Splett. Um, I don't know. Do you watch Veep? I do not. Oh, okay. Well, people out there will understand what I'm talking about. There is a character <laughs> on this show called Veep who is just the most adorable, like, sweet, funny, like, around all of these terrible people, just the one well-meaning person, like, genuinely good, well-meaning person. Um, and his name is Richard Splett. And the character, the, uh, like, deputy mayor guy who comes in in the middle of it and starts, like, advising them reminded me so oh. much of Richard Splett. And I was just waiting for him to be, like, so incredibly sweet. And he was, you know, he was normal for, like, everything else that's going on. But I was just, like, waiting. <laughs> 
waiting for him to be like just the just the gosh darn tootness sweetest midwestern boy you know in the middle of all of this um man but it was, somebody it was like real... that strolling through harlem would have been the cherry on this sunday oh Absolutely. it would have been great if they had just turned up the richard splett dial a little bit on that guy i would have really really enjoyed it because by the time he showed up i was like all right fine whatever the fuck fine just whatever you're gonna do is okay you know do your thing so i like the moment too with uh misty and claire where they say you got skills likewise and then she goes my father and then the next line is my uncle and no that's not what that should have been it should have been my aunt (laughs) it should have been a woman taught you how to fight well look we've met claire's mom yeah exactly claire should have just said my mom Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. honestly Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, so that would have been nice. But so it was like it was so close to like a really, really good moment that they could have like. (laughs) And yet they're like, what is this going to we can't have part of it be good completely because then it'll throw a, you know, a light on how bad the rest of it is. So apparently that was a decision that they made. So, yeah. So we've got three episodes of of a television show. (laughs) Um, And I hate to tell you. Yeah. I'm not getting better. No, no, Ugh, no, no, possibly worse. It's hard oh, to say. No. I'll tell you what, we'll leave that for next time and we'll try and end on a high note. Lonnie, do your best to choose a favorite part. <laughs> um. OK, well, I, OK, I, I'm trying to think. Can I pick the part I hated the least? I mean, I Absolute, think that's that, what I did. So, I think yes. That- Claire saving Luke in a boiling bath of acid is incredibly badass. Um, it was really fun in the moment itself. Like if you isolate it from the rest of this like terribleness, that was that was good. It was good. Yeah. Yes. I thought so. I really liked a lot of the scenes at Dr. Burstein's barn until yeah. they forgot to actually fix one of Luke's wounds. And then I realized <laughs> nobody gave a good goddamn. And they're so just, I stopped. They're also. just trying to get out alive, Joshua. They're just right. trying to get out alive. All right. So what is your favorite part? Or least least hated part. I uh, this is this is tough. I guess at this point I have to admire the cruelty of these motherfuckers teasing those of us <laughs> in the know about Misty's arm. I mean the yeah. level of cruelty that this uh, one, like it's yeah. I mean it was it was difficult the first time I watched it when I was like, oh, are they doing the thing with her arm? And then uh, hey, hint, they don't. They the don't? jackasses. No, of Are course they don't. Are you kidding? She doesn't lose her arm? Not yet. Oh, uh, no. Uh, ex- that is they the correct response. They do it response. later? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Those bastards. I know. The the unmitigated gall. Is it at least because of that injury, or is it an entirely different injury that gets her? Uh, it's an entirely I mean, different not to, injury. not to terribly swear. No. That's unforgivable note my appreciation for the cruelty it's incredible (laughs) we are ants and this script is just a magnifying glass and there's a sun that's in this metaphor it's not good it's not good All right, if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich, and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. 
These people are the reason why Listen Up A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our December producers. Shelly, Abigail, Kristen, Noel, Jonathan, Alyssa, Alice, Erica, Sarah, Kevin, and Heather. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. You can't barter with Diamondback. You buy or you die. Or you sit there and do nothing and you die. Or you sneeze while passing him <laughs> on the street and you die. Or you grab the melon he wanted at the grocery store and you die. Or you, you know, you get it. He's got some impulse control issues. To find out how you too can support Chibberish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or drive all the way to Savannah to remember something you couldn't remember without driving all the way to Savannah. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Luke Cage Season 1, Episodes 12 and 13, At Last We Put This to Bed. (laughs) Until then, lemonade was a popular drink, and it still is. Okay, that was funny when I wrote it, but it was a million times funnier when you read it. <laughs> Just right, inflate me, that ego. It's all, mm, in. yes, I'm hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I giggled when I wrote it, but um, no, that's, that's fun. Okay.